You can't hear my head because in my head I'm praying. Oh, God, oh, God, help, 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 help. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what's going on. Um, Jamie is good at keeping up with the church calendar. So we are, according to the, to the Jewish Passover, on the second day of Passover, they start the clock. And for seven Sabbaths, they count. And at the end of the seven Sabbaths is the 50th day. And on the 50th day, it is uh, the festival of first fruits. Now, how they go about doing this is they take a hoop. I don't know if it's metal or wood. I would think, yeah, I don't know. They, they, they've planted some stuff. And they've put this hoop around this particular section that's been planted. And so they, they're going to take um, what grows up in this hoop area and they're going to harvest that. Then they're going to take that in before God and they're going to wave this as a wave offering of first fruits. It's the beginning of harvest and to say that Lord, it's by your hand that we have something to eat again this year, and we honor you with first fruits. Now, come to the Christians. So, this is now the first Sunday after Easter. So, on Easter, things got started somewhere before sunrise, right? Sometime in there, because Jesus has come back to life. He's folded up the garments that he was wrapped in when they put him in the tomb. They are, are wrapped there. The head piece is separate from the, the, from the other. Now, some have said, well, it just collapsed and his body went through it. No, he, he, it, one of the gospels mentions that the head piece is wrapped. He's taken the time to set it up kind of in there and appeared and appeared to the guys that are down the road uh, on a, going to Emmaus, talking about how terrible it is that Jesus has died, and he starts walking. Hey, can I walk with you? You know, that's a wonderful thing. And he's and they're sad and going like, what's going on? Have you not heard? Everybody's heard. Jesus, we thought he was going to come and take over, and they crucified him. And now it's been like three days. Oh, really? Wow. Well, why don't we stop for supper here? So they stop for supper. And him being the guest with the other two guys, he breaks the bread and says a blessing over it. And somehow in the way that he says the blessing, it says their eyes are opened and they realize that this is Jesus. And then he <laughs> disappears. And then they say with all of their... I'm sure they're, like, freaked out. But, you know, they said, boy, did, did our hearts not burn when he was talking to us? Because he, because he was mentioning things about Messiah, what's going to happen, you know, after the three days and all this stuff. And So they go back to Jerusalem. And just as they get to Jerusalem, everybody's in the upper room. They're all got the doors locked because they're expecting any minute the Romans are going to show up with people from the, from the Jewish he's going to be there with them and then it's going to be their turn and they're going to be taken off and the doors are locked and the two guys have showed up at the door saying we saw him we saw him and while they showed up at the door Jesus shows up I think across the room 
I, I picture it that they're all at the door and they're talking to these guys and they've opened the door enough and they're letting them in and they're saying, he appeared to us down the road. Oh, yeah, well, well, uh, uh, angels, we, the, some, some of the people have seen angels and Peter's gone there and the tomb's empty and, you know, and, and, and then Jesus is in the room. And then they turn around and freak out again because now what the two guys on the road have said is he shut, he's alive. And then he's saying, yeah, I'm alive. No, no, it's a ghost. I'm not a ghost. What do you got to eat? Well, well fish. Give me a piece. And dead Jesus, who's alive, and popped into the, you know, just materialized in the room. Of course, he's just, I guess, what? There anyway, invisible. Ooh, we're getting into the sci-fi version of this, aren't we? So anyway, he eats fish. Okay? And then he stays a few minutes and leaves. I guess the same way. I don't, I, we don't see this. It's like a dimmer switch. He just fade out. I mean, how did he do that? Like, what well, he did. He leaves, and then Thomas, who was not there, he's out, I don't know, getting stamps. I don't know, he's doing something. And Thomas comes back, and they said, Jesus appeared. Ah, you're all seeing things. You know, no, 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 he was here. Uh-uh, mm-mm. Nope, unless I put my hand into the places where they put the spikes in his hands and his feet and, in, and the spear hole in his side, I won't believe. Now, today is now one week, right? First day of the week is when this took place. So we have made the first day of the week Sunday in honor of Jesus coming back from the dead. So now we're one week past that past that scene. Tonight, if we were on the Jewish thing, you know, over there, they're all gathered again. And Thomas is with them this time, tonight. Jesus is going to do it again. Now, I don't know other stuff happened. We know he appeared off and on for 40 days. But tonight, they're all in the room, got the doors locked again. Thomas is there, and Jesus appears. (laughs) <laughs> and they have a little conversation. And, and Jesus says, Do you, would you like to put your hand in my side? <laughs> and I think, what is it? Thomas falls down and says, my Lord and Master. <laughs> so he, he had a lot of convincing things that he's doing. And he... And so, 40 days after this, these goings, there's that Jewish number. Is that 40 days for being in the wilderness? Uh, We know that 40 kind of stands in, if we use, uh, go through Scripture, we have certain numbers keep appearing. We we know that God, uh, that not 40 kind of goes with trials and suffering and testing. So, 40 days is over. And uh, we are gathered in Acts chapter 1. And it says, um, Acts is part 2 of, you know, you have Luke, which is the gospel, the good news according to Luke. And when that ends, it's actually one long story. We split it into two because it was done for um, 
for a guy that Luke says here in the beginning he was putting this together for. And uh, so he says, Luke is going on with telling this, and he says, and this is New American Standard, the 1995 version. And it says that, uh, verse 3, To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Wow, that would be neat to hear him. He says, um, he says it in the other parts of the gospel, talking to them. He gives a lot of parables about the kingdom of God, but he, he is really centering in on this kingdom of God business. So even after he's been raised from the dead, he's still talking about the kingdom of God. So I'll just be truthful with you. So my e internal stuff is about Russia and, and Ukraine right now. And I had a conversation with one of my grandsons, and he's a Gen Z person, and he's concerned about that we're in the early stages of World War III, and I can't say that that's true or not. Um, I listened to him, said some things back and forth, but it helps me to think about, well, what are 15-year-olds thinking about, talking about in their circles? And it's, there's people everywhere talking about stuff right now. I was born six years after the end of World War II, 1951. So all I hear were stories from relatives, people that went to war, people that went to Europe, people that went to the South Pacific. Um, My dad was on a, a training ship in the Chesapeake Bay area, so he would train other sailors and then they would go on and be in, in uh, the Navy of the United States in, in both areas. So he says in verse 4, been talking about the kingdom of God. It says, verse 4, um, Luke says, gathering them together, he commanded them. So this is like, this is not a good idea. This is, I'm commanding you, not to, to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the pro Father has promised, which he says, you've heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized, immersed in, like a, making a pickle. You know, it doesn't mean poured upon. It means to permeate. Baptized in this sense is a permi of being perme you know, permeated all the way through. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Actually, ten days from the time he's saying this. So when they'd come together, they, they kept asking him, saying, Lord... Is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Are we going to be finally through with the Romans? Are we going to finally quit being occupied? All of the stuff that's gone on down through the years. You know, we have a, we have a history of, of having some good times and a bunch of bad times. You know, we, we've been carried off to Babylon. We've been, we, we've been beat up on by all kinds of people groups. You know, we, we had the promised land. We were out in the desert, our, our ancestors were, and, and then they finally, 
young ones got to go into the to the promised land, this wonderful place, and we didn't walk with you like we should. You disciplined us time and time again, and then we would get it right for a while, and then something else would happen. And so here we are, and the Romans are occupying, and is this the time? And he said to them, verse 7, it's not for you to know times or ages, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Verse 10, and they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going. And behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them, and they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? Cocky angels. <laughs> what the tone was in that when they said that. This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So they returned to Jerusalem from two or three different ways of calling it the Mount of Olives. Just one way. This this little olive grove which is near Jerusalem and it's and and Luke says it's it's a sabbath day's journey away which is a certain it's the distance that you can walk on a sabbath you can only walk so far as a jewish person on sabbath because it's a day of rest you, you know you're not supposed to work up a sweat you're not supposed to go and do business it's a day of resting and th this day of resting is to is is to remember that on the seventh day god rested and so if you're a good Jewish person, you rest on the seventh day, you know, because you're honoring him. So we'll come back to parts of this, <clears throat> maybe, or Jamie, or one of us, or Brooke, somebody will come back. We'll see when it gets to, in, on our timetable, Pentecost will be June the 7th. I think. So that's a, a few more days away. But there was a phrase as I was reading through all this because I, was, I kept wanting to kind of teach about this. And I got over to Psalms, I mean Acts chapter 2, and, and Peter has been talking because Peter becomes the spokesperson that morning after, of Pentecost as they get filled with the Spirit and all this stuff happens. And as he's talking, he's, he's giving this uh, sermon kind of to them. And he gets into it, and, and in verse 34, he's talking from Psalms 110, verse 1. And he says, For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself saying, and here's the quote, The Lord said to my Lord, 
Right, so that would be God the Father saying to Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And then let's go on to finish that. So he finishes his sermon by saying, therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, or in, in Greek, Christ. He is Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so there is anointing on him giving this speech to them, and they flip out, all these that were standing around listening, because they've come to town for this festival of first fruits. The, the Ju Jerusalem is filled with a bunch of people coming, Jewish people coming to have this special 50 days after Passover celebration. They're there. They hear the rushing wind. They hear all the sound, the commotion. They see these people come out at, looking drunk to them. They're just staggering out. And, and there's 16 different language groups in present. And they hear people talking in their 16 languages. Each, and they talk to each other there because they kind of, you know, they, they got more than one language. And they're, they're saying, how can they be doing this? I hear them praising God in my own language. And then that's when Peter says, they're not drunk as you suppose. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. This is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. And then he starts giving a prophecy from Joel. And the beginning of the prophecy is about right then. But the bottom end of it is the second coming. He's blended all, it's all in Joel. You get, you, get the, you get the morning of Pentecost, the effects. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will prophesy. And your, your old men will dream dreams. And, and then there's going to be signs in the heavens and all this other stuff that starts talking about. I'm all over the place today, I know. So, but the part about the enemies, and I mentioned that to my wife last night, and she said, you know, there's a, a bunch of psalms that, that uh, David is talking, just as we're going to bed, there's, there's a bunch of psalms that David has written about enemies. So I'm trying to go, Lord, can we talk about this in the morning? Can we just, let's, let's go to sleep, and let's, let's, let's talk about this tomorrow. So I got up with, Right where I went to sleep. <laughs> I got up at uh, 4.30, and he immediately started saying, we're going to talk. Well, can I, can I go get to Jack's? Let me, let me put my bagel together. I'll buy some coffee. We'll sit in the back of Jack's for a minute, and we'll just we'll kind of start on this whole thing. And then the thing of talking about World War III, and then... I'm, I, I know better than to go to the news and to see what's going on in Europe right now, you know. And it's like, uh, so I don't really know where things are today. But your enemies, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So I'm going over to Psalms 140. Psalms 140 through, now there's... In David's, in David's writing these, amazing that he sings all these, the ones that he writes, you know. But, and he mentions in other places, but from 140 through 144 are a collection of psalms that 
are they're all kind of on the same subject but they're but they're kind of hitting it from different places and you really start identifying with him and it made me think of my parents generation and and um, living through war two the things going on and then you know and after the war was over we started finding out more and more and more about how much evil had been done we knew a lot but we but you know great britain was being bombed every night for a while you know and we weren't even in the war yet and um, London was being, you know, terrible things, terrible things. Then we had started having trouble with Japan, you know, we have Pearl Harbor. We end up dropping two nuclear bombs on them. Um, terrible things over there, just across the planet, bunches of things. Psalms 140. Rescue me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who devise evil things in their hearts. They continually stir up wars. They sharpen their tongues as a serpent. Poison of a viper is under their lips. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have purposed to trip up my feet. The proud have hidden a trap for me and cords, and they have spread a net by the wayside, and they have set snares for me. Now, he made it into a song, but you can see David's been on the run. David's been, he's got people with him. I don't know which time, exactly what's going on right at this point, but they spent a lot of time in caves and hiding out, and got really very good at, at getting away from Saul's professional trackers because no matter how well Saul hired everybody and had people tracking, they couldn't quite catch David and them. God was allowing them to, to get away. And all kind of people started going with him, so it went from one person running from the king to a bunch of people running from the king. And God started building a whole little band of warriors around him. I guess they picked up a lot of tricks from David, and David undoubtedly was really good at this, uh, maybe naturally, and then some training when he worked uh, under Saul there, you know, when things were still kind of good. Um, verse 6, I said to the Lord, you are my God. Give ear, O Lord, to the voice of my supplications. O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. Do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not promote his evil device, that they not be exalted. I'll go on with that. Verse 9, and as for the head of those who surround me may the mischief of their lips cover them may burning coals fall upon them may they be cast into the fire into deep pits from which they can they cannot rise 
May a slanderer not be established in the earth. May evil hunt the violent man speedily. Another translation would say, may disaster hunt down the violent. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Surely the righteous will give thanks to your name and the upright will dwell in your presence. David is saying this from a person that's been on the run with a group maybe with him that have been on the run with him. We have this double simultaneous reality. You and I are on this spinning planet going 1,000 miles an hour through space 93 million miles to the sun. We're orbiting, orbiting it once every year. I forgot now how the speed that the Earth is on its path, its track. Things that happen here, we don't know always. God doesn't tell us everything. He says, first of all, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As high as the heaven is above the Earth, so is his ways and thoughts above our ways. He is eternal. Time means nothing. And yet time does mean things. There is kind of a clock. There's a countdown going on. That's pretty much what Jesus has said to the disciples. Is this the time? And he's saying, the Father, my Father, your Father, knows the calendar. But he's not telling it. Jesus has been seated at the place of all honor for being the obedient son, doing life exactly as the father wanted him to do it, despite how hard it was there at the end, saying, if there's any way you can take this away, this coming crucifixion business, would you please do that? But, but nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. You know, having that moment in the garden two or three times there, him talking to Father, and then the things pick up. So right this minute, the Holy Spirit is with us. He's been on the earth anyway. He hovered, it says, hovered over the earth, over why it was void, no life was here, and brought life, like a mother hen sitting on eggs. He, he brought life. He, he interacted down through time with different people. We have in the scriptures the Holy Spirit coming to people, on people, upon the prophets, them being filled, some of them great at prophesying stuff. None of their words fell to the ground. It says nothing that Samuel said after God came to him and called him by name and started interacting with him, um, nothing he said fell to the ground. Everything he said, it came about the way that God had told, whatever he told him to say. Samuel didn't say things he wasn't supposed to say, and yet his own children, sons didn't follow God. There, we have examples of this kind of stuff, but, but God has been talking through the Holy Spirit and acting through the Holy Spirit 
And now come, will come the point of where the Holy Spirit is poured out and that we become vessels of him. And just like the fire came down upon the tabernacle in the wilderness, once it was set up in the pattern, the tent of meeting that God had set it up as, that we, we, the, it comes down upon, upon it and nobody can minister there. God's presence is there. And then the same thing happens when the temple is, has been designed David has gathered all the stuff together, but he, God says, you can't make it. Your son will make it. So Samuel puts, to, puts together, I mean, uh, Solomon puts together the temple in the pattern that's been laid out, given to his dad. And when he puts it all together, again, just like out in the wilderness, the presence of God comes down upon the temple in Jerusalem to the point that the priest cannot minister. So now we've had these examples of God's presence coming We've had him coming on individuals, and now on the morning of Pentecost, 120 people are gathered in the upper room. The wind is, they hear wind blowing. They look at each other, and they see like little flames coming down on top of the head and just going into the head of each person in there, and they are filled with the Spirit, and stuff starts. The languages they don't even know. They are praising God in at least 16 languages, if not more, these 120. They are full of the Spirit, turned into crazy people. And that's what he's been waiting for, is a people like this. So now, down through the years, every so often, there are outbreaks of the Spirit in, you know, in like whole rooms, like he could come in here right now and, and, and all of us be under the furniture for a while and see visions, hear him, you know, in the different ways that he communicates. He, you know, uh, healings take place. Uh, just, just the presence of God. This, everything becomes very thin, this and the, the etern- eternity is here all the time, but, but you and I are so caught up in this that we don't, we get glimpses, maybe a dream, maybe a, for a moment, we, you know, a few minutes or sometimes in different times during worship, we are praying he comes he he his presence it, he gets very strong and then he and it kind of falls back to a background amount that the holy spirit's still with us he's not gone he's just it just he just kind of lowers the volume to a background until the next time that he comes and you don't know when he's going to do that David says something in Psalms 141, verse 3 and 4. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice deeds of wickedness with men who do iniquity, and do not let me eat of their delicacies. In this psalm, he's saying... This is infectious. I can't prove it in the war that's going on. Russia drafted a bunch of young people. I can imagine that these young people didn't know which end was up in the sense of how to do warfare. They gave them military gear, and they sent them somewhere, and... Some of them probably are afraid not to obey orders, attack somebody else, 
and then may, and then I'm just making this up. I'm not there, but you know, I can imagine that one of their friends gets killed that they've met. You know, maybe they're from their same village, and their friends have been killed in in fire from the other side, and and they get really upset, like we saw happen in, in Vietnam, and they just go in with the with the equipment that they have, and they're not under orders, but they just kill everybody they see, everybody moving. They're so mad that their friends have died. Dark things have a way of spreading to people that find themselves doing things that they never expected that they would do. And, and some come back from it. Some repent from it. And some get a taste for stuff. And they don't ever come back. They just get darker. And David's afraid of that for himself. Darkness, that he'll have the same kind of darkness in him that's in those that have come after him. Do you remember the part about where he sent his guys to get some food from somebody and, and the person he sent to turned him down and made fun of him. So the guys went back to David and said what this guy said. And uh, David put on his, his fighting gear and told all of his guys, like, as God is my witness, they, he and those with him won't live until morning. And his wife, Abigail heard about it. And so she sent food and all kind of stuff and went herself while her husband stayed home. He had been in harvest and so he was having a party by himself. And she went, humbled herself before David and said, I am so sorry what my husband said to you. Will you take all this as a offering to you. And it turned his heart. And the warrior that had learned to become a warrior hiding out from Saul, who was going to wipe out a whole, I don't know how many. And told her, I, I was planning on wiping out your husband and not everybody worked for everybody that was in your household. Everybody worked for you before morning. I won't do it. And you know, and as the story goes, her husband died when he heard about what the next day he, he had, a, I don't know, like a heart attack or something. And he died pretty soon. And when David heard that he had died, he sent someone to go get Abigail. And he married her. One of his wives was the girl that had come and humbled herself for the sake of her household. Psalms 142 is like Let's say that you find yourself as a prisoner 
It can happen. Just because we're over here doesn't mean we're safe. Don't know what's next in life. But if you find yourself as a prisoner, there's some really good stuff in here about how to talk to God. Verse 5, he said, I, I, 142.5, I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Give heed to my cry, for I'm brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring my soul out of prison so that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. says that he wrote this while he was in the cave. And he put music to it. Back in the cave. Can you imagine if you're part of his, his group further out in the cave and you can make out what he's singing? He is the lineage of the Messiah. That's why they'd say, son of David. There are strengths in him and weaknesses, but Messiah, Jesus, didn't have the weakness part. One forty three gives you a bunch of things to do when you're on the run from the enemy. I like verses 5 and 6 especially down there. He says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your doings. I muse or ponder on the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you as a weary land or a parched land. So those are things to do when life is hard. Whether it's a, a somebody trying to chase you down or whether life's just hard for assortment of other reasons. Try to draw aside and remember things God has done either for you or for others or just read Bible stories. Ponder what you're, what he's been doing and how he's done things for you when you didn't ask. He just, he, he just showed that he loves you. And it's okay to get in some worshipful, worshiping position, raising your hands, standing, kneeling, laying face down, whatever it takes to put you in that kind of place. And Psalms 144, and I don't think I'm going to read this, but 144 is when God says, put on your armor, put, put your military gear on. Then Psalms 144 is lined up that way. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war. That's good. That's true. And we are like the crowd when Peter has preached to them. The 3,000 that are going to get saved that day of Pentecost. 
It pricks their hearts. And they say, what must we do? And Peter says, well, repent. Turn. And be baptized in the name of Jesus. Identify with him. Because the blessing is for you and your children and your children's children. And he said, with other convincing words, he went on. That was just, he just, that was his opening one. He kept on. And where the ground had opened up out in the desert when they were rebellious against God and 3,000 had died that day, this day 3,000 came to him. I don't think it was an accident. We are all part of a great story. The greatest story there's ever been. More than the part that's been told. You know, this is, you know, we talk about being the greatest story ever told. That's true, but that's just the opening scene. God wants a big family. God is making a big family even now, even this moment. This morning, somewhere on the earth, there's someone that's been invited fresh, you need to quit being a, a rebel and come to me. And they're saying right now somewhere, yes, Lord. And the kingdom is enlarging by the number of people. Before the throne of heaven, at some point, we are all going to be gathered together. And it says it looks like an ocean, like a sea. A still sea. And we are all before him. And even then it won't be over. It'll just be the, ne the next step. So on this Lord's Day, we can focus each of us on listening and watching what he wants us to do today. I can't do yours. You can't do mine. But we can all pray for each other that we'll obey and lean into it and ask for the grace and the nerve to do it and it could be today as, you, as we dismiss in the room that you see someone and you're drawn to them and many times some of my I wish I'd written all the stories down of, of encounters with people but most of the time, it wasn't like God going, Jim, I want you to go across the room and pray for the... You know, it's not like... With me, it's not... I'm not wired that way. It's more like I see them, I feel drawn to them, my mind starts justifying why I'm going to interrupt their day and I should not go over there and it just won't leave me alone. So then I go over, awkwardly usually, or at least on my part it feels awkward, and I go over and I say, hey, can I pray for you? Or is there anything you want prayed for? Or I don't know. Something. Take a risk. You are of the lineage of Jesus. You are his little brothers and sisters. Especially if a blind guy comes up yelling like to him, you know. Son of David, have mercy on you. And Jesus says, bring him over. Okay, and what would you and I do? Well, I can see by the fact that you're blind, I blah. 
well, I should do this. And Jesus, no, Jesus just goes, what can I do for you? To a blind guy that's been yelling, son of David, have mercy. <laughs> and blind barked, told him, I want to see. <laughs> well, be it to you according to your faith. He went home seeing. Somewhere in all of this, I'm, probably y'all started praying for his reason, but somewhere I moved from like, wow, God, I'm going to worship you no matter what emotionally I feel like. And somewhere it changed. Maybe it was reading this, these. Maybe it was telling these stories. Maybe it was just God's presence in the room. Maybe just, oh, yeah, we love you, Lord. Father, what a wonderful thing you've Oh, wow. And Holy Spirit, we're so glad you're with us. You're here. Increase our sensitivity to your presence that we might work with you in whatever it is you want to do. Because we know the place that you choose for yourself is to be the obscure one, to call attention to our Father and to Jesus our Lord. You love doing that. And we're glad to do that with you. Mm. I could feel him quicken just, just by saying that to him. <laughs> he is the wind. We do not see where he's coming or where he's going, but we can tell when the wind's blowing. Bless you today, Father. Bless you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.